lot of organizations have great strategies, but they can't execute on it because they don't have healthy organizations to go in the long term execute on a, on a given strategy. So I, I wouldn't get hung up on having a brilliant strategy. I would have an offering that is valued and then go build an amazing team to go deliver that value. Welcome to East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast. Inspiring stories from local people and businesses you likely already know and trust. Here is your host, third generation family business entrepreneur, Renee Oswald. Welcome back to another episode of East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast. Big thank you to all of you loyal listeners. I so appreciate your support. I am nearing 100 episodes, and I feel like I've just gotten started. So for any of you new listeners, I also welcome you. I hope this show can inspire you or even just let you get to know your business neighbors a little bit better. That's what I do here, interview local business owners, entrepreneurs, and influencers, and help them share their origin stories so we can hear their journeys and get inspiration to follow our own dreams. My guest today is president and CEO of a company that serves Idaho, Montana, and Eastern Washington. He is well known in the business community as a leader and a change agent, and I'm so excited to have him on the show. Welcome, Chris Taylor of Fisher's Technology. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Um, we, I have to do full disclosure. You don't actually live in East Idaho. You're a Boise resident. Is that correct? Can you edit that out of the show? Yes. Oh, you don't want me to take that <laughs> no, out? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't remove any of your legitimacy because you're... Are you sure? Yes, because yeah. your business is very active in East Idaho. And, and we're, you know, you're well known, like all over Idaho. Montana, and now Eastern Washington. Yeah. Spokane area. Yeah. So talk to, I actually was in Spokane and saw one of your Fisher's cars. Did you really? Huh? I did. Yeah. And I, and I called Casey quickly after that, <laughs> who runs the Idaho Falls branch. Yeah. Um, okay. So tell us a little bit for people who may not know what Fisher's is. Tell us a little bit about Fisher's technology. I think maybe some people might just think you're printers, but it is Fisher's technology for a reason. So talk to us about it. Yeah. So obviously we do sell and service printers and copiers and production print, managed print services, all print technology. That's only a portion of our business, though. We're also an outsourced IT provider, so we're the IT department for businesses. Typically, 15 employees to 150 employees is kind of a typical range, but we're their IT department, cybersecurity, network management, desktop support, help desk, all those types of things as well. And we do have electronic document management software business, so helping uh, maybe print less and have more information in the electronic world, those types of solutions. And so have you have, have you always been in the IT business? No, we acquired an uh, um, MSP, an uh, uh, IT company, in 2013 to, to get us. We didn't want to start from scratch. It's definitely a different business than the print business. So we did an acquisition in 2013 and have grown that ever since. And how long have you been the president CEO of the company? Since 2006, January 9th, 2006. You know, you know the day. <laughs> I do. Yeah, it was probably, it was the change of your life. It was. Well, why, why did you come to Fisher's? Tell us a little bit about your history. What brought you to Fisher's technology? Yeah, I had, um, I had spent five or six years as a systems consultant. I was a chemical engineering undergrad. So, right. I know that. I knew that. And so it doesn't make any sense <laughs> why know. you're here. Yeah. I'm not doing distillation columns or <laughs> I'm selling copiers in IT. Um, uh, but I had done systems consulting and I found in my career that I was, as I advanced in my career, more challenged by business and leadership concepts. And as an engineer, I really had very little formal background in that. So I decided to go back 
full time to business school and to get an MBA just to learn kind of the basics of business so I could advance my career. Ultimately, I wanted to buy a business or um, perhaps in a large organization, grow a business within a larger business. But I, I, I did want to be a leader of an organization of some kind and uh, moved back to Boise in 2004 um, and found myself in a nice leadership role in a large organization. And then my, my father-in-law at the time uh, had this business he was majority owner of, but wasn't very involved in, and realized that that business was in need of a turnaround. Uh, new leadership, new culture, new strategy. And he didn't, uh, didn't have the energy to do that and didn't want to, but, but knew that was what I was kind of preparing myself for. So 2005 at Thanksgiving dinner table, he asked me, do I want to do a turnaround? And I thought, Absolutely. Let's, you know, I loved what I was doing. And yet here's an opportunity to go run an organization. I thought it'd be a two or three year project, kind of extension of my experiences in education and immediately fell in love with the business and had an opportunity to buy out one of his minority partners and just got into it and um, decided to buy more of his ownership as I was running the organization, buy in, had a partner that was buying in as well. And, and then in 2011, I got a divorce. And so that father-in-law <laughs> changed. If awkwardly running my ex-father-in-law's yeah. organization. It, Yikes. It, it, he's, he's still very much a dear man in my life, and, and we, we all worked that out. But I did get a divorce, and, and so he said, find a way to, uh, to buy me out. And so two of my partners in the business, the three of us, took out an SBA loan in 2012 and purchased his remaining 51% of the organization. And now the th three of us are... Are going strong, and that organization is Fishers. That organization is Fishers. Oh, did I forget that detail? <laughs> you Sorry, did yeah. forget that detail. I couldn't <laughs> wait to hear what the organization was, but yeah. I kind of knew what that, that was, was. Yeah, it was at the time. Actually, at the time, it was just known as Fishers, and we had been in office supplies years before that, just with just with the Boise office, and people knew knew us for paper and pens and pencils, which we didn't actually sell. And we sold that business to Boise Cascade Office Products, which became Office Max. Um, so we rebranded almost immediately to Fisher's Document Systems, so people knew we were in copiers and printers. Then fast forward to 2013, as I mentioned, we acquired an IT company. So people then knew us as a copier company, but not as an IT organization. And so we rebranded to Fisher's Technology. Technology, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm fascinated with your journey because coming from your background of being a chemical engineer, when did you kind of know that you were a leader? Because not all engineers necessarily have those leadership skills and abilities. At what point did you say, I feel like this is a little bit different and it, and you did systems kind of um, organization. Is that where you were like, yeah, I think I want to be a leader? I, yeah, I don't know. There, there wasn't a point in time where I said, I'm a leader or I want to be a leader. It, it definitely developed. Um, I, I guess the job that I took out of college, I had a couple of offers. One, one they were, two of them were totally different. One was in a lab in Boeing in their advanced materials department for their air and space, space and defense division or something like that. I was going to sit in a lab with like seven PhD chemists designing coatings for jet aircraft and space aircraft and really cool technology. But I thought, I don't want to be locked in a lab with seven PhDs. The other option, offer was less than half the starting wage, but it was to travel the world and consult the companies for Anderson Consulting and be around lots of different people and organizations. And 
and I took that job. Uh, so I, I should have known maybe I was more more into inclined to go around people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and for me, I think that that paid off in spades in, in terms of. You know, I had I had to develop a leadership style that was I call it peer leadership, where I'd go into an organization and I would run a, t- a team, a development team. But most of the team members were for our client; they didn't work for my organization, right? So I didn't write their paycheck, I didn't give them performance reviews, but somehow I had to get them to perform on my project that I was leading with with this client base that worked for somebody else, right? So I couldn't come in and and have a command and control type leadership style. Yeah, you didn't have authority over them. No authority. Yeah. Right? Um, so I developed you know, what I consider, again, a, a peer leadership style of, of saying, hey, I'm not your boss. Um, you don't work for me, and yet we're gonna, we got to get this done. And then fast forward then to January 9th, 2006. I'm a 32-year-old punk kid. No idea how to run an organization. Didn't know anything about our technology standing in front of 42 employees trying to lead them with no credibility um, and just say, hey, I said, I said, hey, I work for you guys. I put on an old Fisher's apron with the old logo and said, I, I work for you guys. You guys know what we need to do as a company to take care of our customers, to have a blast with what we do, where we need to make investments. You tell me and I'll do it for you. So do you think that was the, that has been the key to your success all along is that you really have approached this as a servant leader kind of a, a leader where it's just that, like, I'm here to remove barriers so that you can do your job. Do you feel like that's what's led you to so much success? Because I understand you've been recognized by several different organizations for your leadership accomplishments. You've won awards. This is your thing. Yeah, that definitely is my thing, servant leadership, and, and most leaders that I want to hang out with and learn from and so forth have that same orientation. So from that perspective, I don't think it's necessarily unique to me. There's a lot of great servant leaders out there. I think perhaps the fact that I truly was a beginner and I really needed amazing people around me quickly led me to my fundamental belief and a lot of our fundamental beliefs that... Um, people or everything in our organization. Hiring, taking the time to invest in a hiring process to find amazing people, not only amazing people in their jobs, but amazing people that fit within our culture and within those job functions and who really want to take care of our customers. So starting with that hiring process and then an ongoing enculturation process and building a team that works cohesively as a team. So what we call it culture, right? Building a culture that is consistent and keeps these great people coming to work every day, loving what they do. Uh, I think that's uh, ultimately why we've continued to grow and be successful and can hire great people and, and you know, all the great things that we do is because of our amazing people and culture. And I think because I needed that so much around me at the time, I developed quickly, maybe more quickly than I would have, that appreciation for how important the right team the right team is. Yeah, I think um, in some ways that's a little bit unique, especially when you're coming into an organization at 32 years old, like you said, um, you might have had a little chip on your shoulder like you had to prove something. And so to be humble, I think that says a lot. Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't give myself credit for that. I had to be <laughs> humble. I really didn't. I needed you didn't their, have a choice. Well, their, you could yeah. have gone in and been a real jerk. It doesn't sound like that's the way you approached could've, it. Yeah. All right. So culture, clearly culture and values are very important to you. And so 
talk to me a little bit about, did you learn that through experience or was that something that you were taught or was it just a survival mechanism, kind of like you said, that you had to do in order to have the organization you were looking for? Yeah, I, I, I wish I could say that I had this brilliant education or brilliant insight or whatever. It, it just, I just, and the people around me, we just, as, as you gain momentum and steam as a culture, you just want more of that. So a real appreciation and also an appreciation for, hey, we spend way too much time together and not have fun. So just having a ton of fun along the way attracted the right kind of people. So it just, it developed over, over time and alluded to who I, you know, want to hang out with and learn from. I, I get the benefit of hanging out with lots of other leaders and, and choose to hang out with those that I can absolutely learn from. You know, we, we, Fishers, we call it the beginner's mind. You know, I was a beginner back then. I'm less of a beginner now, but I still can't approach this like an ex- with an expert's mind. Like I have all the answers because I don't. Uh, there's so much more we can learn as an organization. We can learn as individuals. So surrounding ourselves with people with then a curiosity for what don't I know or is there a better way to do things? That that kind of a culture and those are the type of people that we that we hire that have that beginner's mind. Um, I, ca- I can't really point, it certainly wasn't me, it wasn't, it was just collectively, we've built this thing together to have an organization that's highly curious about how can we do better for our customers and how can we have more fun doing it. Yeah, and I love that too, because I think as we grow, our organizations grow, we can't be the control freaks that maybe we were at the beginning in the details of everything that's happening in our organization. You have to trust the individuals that you're hiring and then trust them to be able to tell you what's really happening out in the field that you're not being able to see. Right, so part of that, so for that, we, we've created a culture that we call problems are opportunities. We, problems are, when we mess up, we just get, get, give a gift to ourselves of why did we mess up? Well, let's go own it with the client. Let's make sure we improve, you know, fix what we did and then use that gift to come back and fix our company so we don't ever do that again and we're even better, right? So problems are opportunities. That creates a culture of not brushing things under the rug, but surfacing them. It's okay to mess up or we're not trying hard enough. We're not innovating. So that is a very important part of our culture is really, really embrace mess ups. Yeah, I love that too, because I think I see far too many organizations that they say failure is an option, but it really isn't. And, you know, the organization has created this culture where I have to, whatever I do has to be perfect. And so things are covered up and and there's not transparency and it ends up being, it it can never be perfect, right? That's, we're human, we're gonna screw up. So to be able to kind of use those as opportunities, like you said, to grow, it really creates that great culture where you can continue to improve and I'm okay to fail, I'm not gonna get fired if something goes wrong. That's right, and for us, it's, it's importantly coupled with a culture of vulnerability to admit we're not always going to nail this, right? And I've got a lot of room to grow. It doesn't matter where we, where you are in the hierarchy of the organization. It's that vulnerability to be wrong creates this very safe environment to, to share, to have healthy conflict, to disagree, and ultimately innovate and then get it wrong and then innovate. But you've got to have that vulnerability along with the curiosity. Yeah, that's a huge thing that not many people, they don't like to even say that word because it feels like a bad word in their mouth to be vulnerable. So congratulations. I'm glad that you've been able to accomplish that. Uh, we're huge uh, 
in fact, I know this is audio only, but if you were to look at a, the whiteboard in this room, there's Patrick Lencioni all over it. Is my one of my favorite leadership authors. And at, at the foundational layer of healthy teams is that vulnerability, vulnerable trust. Yeah, trust. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's a big deal. Hey, I know you're pretty open about sharing your leadership secrets. You speak at events on a regular basis. You're willing to teach. Why is that important to you? Why don't you just keep all your secrets to yourself? I've never been asked that question. That's a, that's a good one. <laughs> okay, good. I, one, you know, part of it is is selfless. It's it's giving because I all that I have learned and we have learned have come from somebody else, right? We we call it Fisher's R and D department: rip off and duplicate. <laughs> yes. Right? So we've we've taken all this stuff from others, right? So we need to give that back as well and help help others collectively get better in all of our communities. So there's a selfless side of it. For me personally, there's also a selfish side in that the more you talk about something, uh, the more you learn it, right? And, and if, you're, if you're training and retraining and retraining, I'm learning it more and more and I'm honing it, fine tuning it, getting even better. And then I'm, with that curiosity, always adding in new things as well and trying it. And I've got a, a seminar I'm giving in a month on content I've never given before, right? So I won't be at all an expert in that content and I'll give it once and I'll probably mess it up and then I'll do it again <laughs> and eventually I'll get actually better at these concepts that I'm spewing as well. So I think the more I can talk about these things, the better I'll actually be at them. Yeah. Oh my gosh, boy, I can really feel that. I've had an opportunity to do some speaking engagements and they terrify me and yet I grow the most from those opportunities when I have to really study and know know what I'm talking about. So yeah. I, I really appreciate that as a leader that you're willing to continue to grow also. Um, Fishers has about 150 employees and has been reckoned, is that correct, 100, about 150? Yeah, we're approaching 160, I think. Now. Oh, okay, yeah. so see, so you're growing all the time. You've been recognized annually for 13 years as one of Idaho's best workplaces. So do you attribute that to the culture that you've been able to create? I attribute that to the people we've been able to hire and then the culture that continues to align them, motivate them, and love what they do. And also a culture it's that that we're all heard. There's a because there, we we definitely have lots of room for improvement, lots of weaknesses that we can and so that culture of being vulnerable and willing to uh, and have the curiosity to improve and continue to improve, it creates this culture like, yeah, we're not perfect, but we're going to benefit of the doubt because I know if I go surface this, we're going to work on it and we're going to get better. Um, so it's, it's it, in a word, I would attribute to the culture for sure. But how you build that culture is it's all about hiring and messaging and acculturation. And then ultimately as leaders, uh, walking the walk, not saying we are one thing and then doing something different. It's got to be all consistent. So it's, Yes, culture, and and <laughs> it's you know it's quite a it's 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 about all I think about. Yeah, this culture. Yeah, it, it was cheesy, so I pulled it off. But when, for a couple of weeks on my email signature, I put chief culture officer. Just the, yes. you know, just kind of. And then I'm like, no, oh, that's kind of cheesy. So. <laughs> but it was true. <laughs> it's true. That's yeah. how I view it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is it hard to get hired at Fishers? I mean, with this scrutiny that you have around the individuals that you hire, is it hard to get hired? So I do, I do a seminar on what our interviewing and hiring process is and 
if you were to sit through that, you would think it's hard. It sounds grueling and so forth. The, the standards is, are high. And the reality is, and people ask at the end of that, they're like, are you chasing the best candidates away? Like they don't have to go through that process with other great companies. Why would they? And, and the reality is it's not grueling. It's, it's very intentional to build a relationship through vulnerability and trust and getting to know the true candidate. Uh, the whole process is about getting to know each other. And is this going to be a good fit long-term for each other? So it's not at all grueling. It's just very intentional and very personal. And therefore, those who are a great fit for Fishers and vice versa, it's a differentiated process. We fall in love with each other through that process. So for, so it's a longer answer. The short version of that is for the right candidates, for the right people to fit within our culture, it's fun. It's a it's a great process because you're just connecting along the whole way. Yeah. And if it's not a fit, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't, and that's that's why the process is so good for us is it really figures out is someone gonna be a great fit for our company, our culture, for our customers, and for a specific job function. For the right fit, it's not grueling at all. It's, yeah, I, um, I hear you when you say that because I think that too many of us, even those of us who are selling ourselves as candidates, we don't always ask all of the right questions either to find out whether it's the right fit. You know, this is how I, I function. Am I going to be the right fit for your organization? And that you take the time to figure that out is a win-win, right? Like you said, because you're hiring the right person and you don't have to waste all this time figuring that out. Right, right. So did the... so. How did things happen for you during COVID? I mean, this is primarily a, a sales role, right? You're out there selling your product. Did COVID have an impact on how your business um, ran during that time and, and how it impacted your team? Yeah, I mean, hopefully, it feels like we're almost done with this COVID thing. Well, hopefully we are. Um, I'm going to say yes. Yes, all right, good, good, <laughs> good, good. Um, it definitely impacted our business adversely from a financial standpoint, we we shrunk about 8% total revenue and we're a double digit every year growth yeah. kind of company. That said, and you hate to put the asterisks, well, it's a COVID year. A lot of our peers in other markets that were more closed down had brutal, brutal financial experiences. Right. And so that's a top line hit that we had. Ultimately though, we did become more efficient. We found wasteful spending. We became a healthier financial company because of COVID and things we needed to do to survive what we did not know the future would look like. So ultimately we're a healthier business, but we shrunk just a little bit in, in revenue. That's the financial picture. The culture picture, which is more important, was luckily uh, a year ago, we uh, a little over a year ago, we put dramatic plan in place. We, we got together and crafted a cost cutting plan, a morale plan, a communication plan. How are we gonna survive what we don't know this is going to look like in the future, and we did. We did a little bit of, of layoff, um, and then uh, we did some furloughs. So, if copy if people aren't in their offices printing. We're not making revenue off printing services that we do, right? So that, that's where the shrinkage was. So we had copier technicians that were not going to be fully utilized, right, and, right? You know, and the way it worked out with the stimulus plan and so forth, not working actually made them more money. So it's kind of a a win-win from that perspective. So we did furloughs, we did cost-cutting, we quit traveling, of course, we did all these cost-cutting things. And we generated enough cash in the business to then sustain what ultimately was way longer than we, any of us all wanted of us, or right. expected. Mm -hmm. uh, and through that, it, it was amazing. We were 
we were a month into implementation of that plan where we asked we asked employees we did a 10 to 20 percent um, pay cut as well for non-furloughed employees so we furloughed employees we did pay cuts we took away travel we all that spending and our morale went up and and how does that happen it was the communication plan okay I, in my, my opinion, it was yeah. a communication plan. We yeah. were very clear. Here's what we're doing. Crystal clear. Gave very regular reports. Here are the leading indicators that we're we have. We're hiding Here's anything. what we're seeing. They're, yeah, very, very transparent with the data. Um, here's what we anticipate. Here's what we said we would, would happen. And here's what did happen. Just frequent communication all the time. And economic forecast. I still send out economic forecast uh, information. Uh, videos from me. And, and I, I, this was not intentional no one no ceo wants to do this but i get emotional in this and you know I, and so i it was because just that was the reality like you said you were showing your vulnerability because it was scary for all of us totally totally and some of those hard decisions are impacting people's lives right and I don't take that lightly at all um so it, it brought us together and they yeah i t- had to take a slight pay cut um but i know this company this is what they all said was, I know this company has a plan in place. We took swift action. It's working. We know all about it. Versus some of the friends in other companies, it was a bit more of a mystery. Yeah, and right. Sure. And all that. So that fear, uncertainty, and doubt associated with, we call it FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt associated with lack of communication. Yeah, we fill in, like our brains tell us stories. We can't have those big gaps. We fill it in. And usually fill it in with the worst possible scenario. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. So... It brought us, not, believe me, we had our ups and downs in, uh, uh, you know, just how we reacted to it. But uh, for the most part, it got stronger. Yeah, that's great. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's funny. You know, I think I've interviewed people and they're sometimes apologetic for what the pandemic has actually done to their business because it's improved it. And I understand that because, it, you know, people were impacted all sorts of different ways, but it has been so fun to see organizations that have come out stronger, right? And your your employees know because of all those things that you've done, you're still going to be here at the end of all of it. And and you are. Yeah. 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 It's awesome. That's crazy. That's... Good job. Um, so, how do you keep yourself inspired in the business after like 15? Has this been 15-ish years? Yeah. Like what what keeps you coming back every day? Why are you still here? Like you didn't think this is probably where you were going to be when you started this thing at no. 32. No. First of all, I mean, I absolutely love my job. I love what I do. And I love it because of these amazing team members that we have. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're just... And here I am in Idaho Falls. This team is fantastic here. Just the energy I get from hanging out with them just so far today. We just have the best people. And they're motivated. They want to, you know, they want to change. We hire, you know, that's part of our cultural fit is change is good. Most people don't like change. Or at least they don't like the fear, uncertainty, and doubt associated with, with change. And it, it's this team that keeps me, keeps me going. And our customers. I mean, our we, you know, in the technology service, any service industry, usually what you hear from your customer is the bad news. You know, no, you know, no news is good news kind of a thing. And we get 40, 50, 60 write-ins a month on the great thing. And, you know, Google reviews just on the great things that we're doing for them. That gives me massive energy when we have happy. Our best days are when we have extremely happy customers. 
and our worst days are when we've messed up for a customer, but then we remember that's a gift, right? So we use that to get better. <laughs> and so our customers and our team members keep me going. Um, and I'm a growth guy. I need growth too. And so growth opportunities and whether there be new products and services in our existing markets or looking at more geographic expansion or whatever it is, I'm the, the You're prospect, always looking. The prospect yeah. of growth is super exciting to me as well. So you talk about those reviews and your customers. As a customer, what sets you apart from other organizations that I could use for my IT services or for my printing services? Why? Why Fishers? Well, I'll tell you what we're striving for. And one of our cultural values is continuous improvement. And so there's a I call it the shadow side to everything. It's something you can be really good at, but then there's it's also what you're really bad at, right? So that attitude of continuous improvement is great. And then also we never really appreciate the great things we've done because we're off to the next thing, right? Right. Um, so I'll say what we're what we're striving for. We're there. We've arrived, and yet no one would admit that we arrived because of our cultural value of continuous improvement. But what we're striving for is friendly, effective, easy services. Right, so friendly, hiring people that are highly friendly, highly engaging. Now, you're, there's organizations out there that have highly friendly people, but then also, is it highly effective? Is it are the solutions secure? Is it translating technology to business value? Are the support processes highly effective for keeping those organizations so effective solutions? And then easy. And this is where we are working probably the most on our business right now is to be easy to do business with. How do you how do you reach somebody for support? How quickly does it? take to respond? Does it get done quickly? Is right. it easy to navigate us as an organization? Is it organization growing in complexity? How do we become really, really easy to do business with? So those are what we're striving for. And collectively, friendly, effective, easy support services is differentiated in our, you, you just want to do business with us. You know, at least that's what we're striving for. We're there and but we'll never have arrived. We've We've got a lot of a lot of work to do. Well, and I also think, and you've said it without saying, it's about relationships, right? Because I I don't necessarily know, you know, the individuals who are running the branches. I know the guy who's coming out and servicing my printer. You know, I, I it's that. It's those those individuals that are right there with the business owners, with the IT and all of that kind of stuff, creating those relationships. And when you have the right people, you can trust that that's happening. Yeah. If if you're friendly and effective. I know. You're going to build those relationships, right? And it's it's just like your mom always told you, you can collect more, what is it, bees with, no, sweet, I don't know what the saying is, I just completely ruined it, <laughs> but with honey, you know, yeah. than vinegar, that whole saying, yeah, yeah, right? Uh, yeah. You can attract, mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, yeah. you all get what I'm trying to say. Um, it, it It's funny how easy that concept is, and yet how many businesses don't adopt that concept. It's not, it's not some great secret. Just be nice. Right. Well, and so that's where it comes down to the hiring rigor that we have is yeah. to make sure not only does someone have the skills to do a job function, but do they like people? Do they like communicating and relating to people? We say half of a technician's job is fixing broken technology. The other half of a technician's job is fixing broken people. Because when technology doesn't work, you've got broken people. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be able to communicate <laughs> and relate and talk them down and let them know you got this. And and not every technical person has that kind of skill set. So right. That's we're really looking for those that social aptitude in in our interviewing, even you know for every position that we have, because we all 160 employees 
impact our customer in some way. Well, and my favorite is when an IT person always treats me like it's user error instead of, and which probably it is, but you know, you don't have to treat me like that. But, yeah, don't ever tell you that, no. Yeah, it's you. No, yeah. it's not. It's my stupid computer. Yeah, on the IT side, we've, we've got about 25 engineers on our IT team. And you can find a lot of brilliant IT people out there, but you can't find a lot of, I mean, they'll go, this is gonna, I want all the IT people listening to this show that, I'll make fun of salespeople and accountants and <laughs> everybody else too. But you know, IT people, a lot of them, they go into computers because they don't like people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, yeah. Right? they want to be in a dark room with the computer. Yes. And so our challenge is we've got to find, they've got to be able to relate to people and enjoy working with people. They, they're all awesome in terms of they want they want to solve problems for people. They're givers that way. They're, they, they want to help that communication piece. We've got to have that too. Well, you probably have a talent looking for that because you're a chemical engineer who likes people. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. So I know in your organization, you like to have fun and you've talked about that. So talk to me a little bit about some of the things that you do. You're also serving in the community. What does Fishers bring as far as fun? Well, again, not to be a broken record, it starts with hiring. We hire fun people and then fun people. When they like each other and trust each other, they're going to go do out. fun things. They're going to do fun things. Yeah. So it all starts with hiring. But we, we also are intentional with interjection of fun into our culture. So we've, we had to take a break during COVID, of course, but we in all, all we have 11 offices. Every office has what they like to do, and they do it quarterly, and we'll pay for it. So they go bowling, they'll go over in Eastern Idaho here, they like skeet shooting and fishing, and right those types of acts. Axe throwing. Uh, yeah, exactly, they've done that. <laughs> they've done that. Um, and so quarterly, make sure we just get outside the office and go have fun. And through that, we're building relationships and connectivity to people as humans that we can come back and then when we have the hard work to do and we've got to have some some conflict in the workplace, that's a good thing. We, we train on Lencioni's Healthy Conflict and how do you, and we have, they're all on the board here, issue clearing models and you know how do you actually have conflict with maybe you don't have that trust level yet with somebody or there was an incident that caused trust to be torn down. How you, we still need to have healthy conflict. So we go out and we have fun together, build those personal relationships that we can then leverage those relationships in the workplace for strength. So quarterly, uh, quarterly outings, and you know, the, frankly, they just—it's—it's it's organic. They—they—they're just going to go hang out anyway, and they're going to go to each other's houses, and they're going to go do things together because of the type of people that we hire. You know, you know, the old dinner test. Would you, you know, when you're, you're uh, interviewing or whatever, you know, would you invite them home to your home for dinner? Right. They all pass the dinner test, and therefore they do hang out at home for dinner. So is it because of the people that they choose to be involved in community events? Because we see that in Eastern Idaho, you know, that Fishers is involved in quite a few community events. Is that something that you promote or is that just left to each area? Yes. Both. <laughs> Both. Um, <laughs> we promote it. We've got employee-led um, charitable giving committees where they decide what the heartstrings of that team is are for that for that community, right? So it's purely philanthropic giving that we do as a company. A lot of organizations in all industries, especially especially ours, they'll give to the community, but it's to this nonprofit, and it's in order to get their copier business, right? Right, it's, exactly. Right? We don't call that philanthropy; <laughs> we call that sales. Yeah. Right? Yes. Or it's a good cause, and we'll sponsor the golf tournament. We're going to get our flag up there. We're going to meet everybody. That's that's good philanthropic giving as well, but it's called marketing. So truly giving, where we're going to give money, we don't expect any money or time or whatever it is. We don't expect anything in return. Uh -huh. I can't say that because I'm going to be naturally disposed to 
something that I'm going to get something like sales, yes. right? So yes. we've got these employee committees that decide where we're going to give without any expectation and for something in return based on the heartstrings of that team. So that's a piece of what we do. I've got a monthly, um, we call it team meeting, but it's really an enculturation meeting. So once a month for an hour, 160 employees, it's an expensive meeting and it's pure enculturation. It's, it's what happened last month, what's happening this month, you know, those kind of, that kind of communication, but peppered throughout that entire hour is all enculturation about what are our values, what's important to us, extremely happy customers, extremely happy team members, stories about us doing great things. That's an enculturation meeting. And in that meeting, we also recognize those who got out and did something amazing in their community, right? So we want to recognize all the employees who did great things for their communities across our, our three states. So, so yes, it's an important part of our culture. Yes, we talk about it all the time. Yes, we fund it through these committees. And the type of people that we hire are naturally those who are gonna, do that. They're givers and they're engaged in their communities. And so they do plenty of that on their own as well. Yeah, well, it's fun to be able to support that then. I mean, if that's where their heart heartstrings are, like you said, to be able to be a business that supports that. I think it's yeah. really fun to be able to be that. I've, I've walked a mile in high heels here have in you? Idaho Falls. I have. <laughs> Casey wrangled you into that. <laughs> she, huh? she didn't even tell me. She said, put these on. Let's go. <laughs> That's why you're a good boss. Yeah. You just do what you're told. <laughs> I do, especially with Casey. Yes. All right. So talk to me a little bit about what advice you would give to someone who was seeking to start their own business or self-employment. Tell me, you know, like, what would you say to them? Do it. It, it may fail, but right? Failure. I've got a new quote that I love. You're either winning or you're learning. So, so losing. You're never losing. Losing is you just, you're learning from it, right? So yeah. it's not always going to work out, but take risk. And if you're a risk taker, I mean, it's not for everybody. It's definitely not for everybody. But for those who are thinking about it, go for it. And, and I don't think you have to have a brilliant strategy. You have to have an offering that's valued. Yeah. Right. But I don't think you have to have a brilliant strategy. I think you have to have brilliant people the right people to go deliver that value. And then you figure out the strategy as you go along? Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, I think every every business has a good enough strategy. And this is, this is Blencioni stuff coming out as well. It, it's about healthy organizations. It's that you can go execute on whatever decent strategy you have. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a great strategy. In fact, a lot of organizations have great strategies, but they can't execute on it because they don't have healthy organizations to go in the long term, execute on a, on a given strategy. So I, I wouldn't get hung up on having a brilliant strategy. I would have an offering that is valued and then go build an amazing team to go deliver that value. Um, talking about sayings, one of mine that I love is culture eats strategy for breakfast. And so it goes back to what you're saying. I mean, it's creating totally. that culture, that team, those values, having a product that's interesting and then go, just go. Go. Yeah. I guess the other piece of advice I would give is um, to, back to that beginner's mind comment we made earlier, surround yourself with other brilliant people. So I belong to um, three groups of peer CEO peer groups. We get together once a month per group. So that's, this is three days a month. All day. All day. Wow. Uh, two YPO groups, a young president's organization. So I'm in a Idaho chapter of YPO and a Montana chapter of YPO and a Vistage group. Vistage is similar CEOs getting together. And it's anywhere from eight to eight to 14 CEOs per group. And we just help each other learn, grow. And YPO gets a bit more into personal issues as well. Cause if you're 
if you're running an organization, you're probably screwing up your marriage. You're probably screwing up your kids. You know, you got, it's not just your business that is a challenge in your life, right? Yeah. So you co-mentor each other through all of these challenges that you have. Um, and I've got so much out of those, those groups. And it doesn't have to be one of those groups, but there are lots of great organizations where you just get, to, or just find a group of people that you respect and can learn from and get together periodically, force yourselves to have some tough, vulnerable discussions and sharing in a confidential environment. And the, the growth is, is um, transformational. I love this so much because I'm quite a fan of mastermind, like actual mastermind groups where it's just that. It's about yours invested in my business as I am in yours. And I'm also gonna kick your butt as we have this conversation and we go out loving each other, but that's what I have to have. And I agree, you can have exponential growth in your business just by having those trusted advisors really is what they are. Yeah, yeah. In a, for me, a key uh, component there is in a confidential environment. Yeah. Because you've got to be able to share. Absolutely. Share stuff that you know <laughs> will stay there, otherwise you're not going to share that, right? That vulnerability won't quite be there uh, if it's not in a confidential environment. And, and some masterminds are a bit more broad and, yeah. you know, it's, it's probably goes without saying this is confidential, but really every session starting and ending with a reminder of confidentiality so that you create that safe space. Yeah. Because you have to get to the nuts and bolts, right? You have to be able to be vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Because we all have issues. Unfortunately, we do. Or maybe (laughs) fortunately, right? We're all in the same boat. We're all just working on ourselves and and trying to do the best we can. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love about this show is to be able to show that part. When I think people look at business owners, Sometimes we get these reputations of, I don't know, you know, being, having millions of dollars or whatever, feeling intimidating to other individuals. And once they get to know us, it's really, we're just trying to do the very best we can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So what's the Fisher's, what's, what is the future for Fisher's technology for Chris Taylor? What, what's going to happen in the future? Well, I don't have any current uh, geographic expansion but geographic expansion is is definitely in the future um don't know where and again nothing in the works but uh, we took a break during covid made sure we could survive that thing and and um so geographic expansion uh, our it services is just it's such a challenge and it's so worth it to y- you can deliver a decent it experience as a four-person, five-person engineer company. Uh, the problem with that experience is it's high risk to their clients because you got a lot of knowledge, just a few heads. And if those they win the lottery and they're gone, right. all that knowledge comes right. away with them. It's also no life for those engineers. They're on call 24-7. They haven't taken vacation in eight years. You know, So, so that model, we, we want to create that intimate of an experience, but in a scalable organization to um, so we can scale and we don't have all those risks and our IT engineers can actually have lives and our clients get a better. That's a lot of work. And we've been at it for eight years now. And we're, we're at that point where we finally have this experience that feels very intimate. Like you have your own engineer guy at the cube next door, we call yeah. it. But it's scalable to meet all of our diverse geographies. So continued investment and advancement in the customer experience in our IT space is huge. We've got a unified communications practice. So business telephony um, is exploding where it's all cloud-based solutions. You know, if you had phones and you couldn't work in the office anymore during COVID, every 
with our solutions, right? They're all soft phones, they're all on your computers, and so you uh -huh. can work from anywhere. Uh -huh. Those types of solutions are in higher demand in the post-COVID world. And so we got a lot of opportunities in the IT space. All of that, our biggest opportunity, all of that is under is underpinned by security. Cybersecurity is just massive. And it's not just security, obviously in IT and cloud solutions and all those things we do, but even copiers and printers have high levels of vulnerability on IT networks with open ports and uh, default passwords from manufacturers that the copier industry traditionally is not very secure. Yeah. Right? So yeah. underpinning all of our solutions with this foundation of security is a massive opportunity that we're going after um, in a big way. Yeah, and, and all of that is not super visible, right? Because you're doing it behind the scenes. Right, mm -hmm. right. All right, so... And, and, and oh. actually, it's not only visible, but it's not even appreciated until you yeah. hear about another organization <laughs> who's just got a huge ransom or just got breached in some way or lost their data. Those examples are real. So you've got to make sure you've got an organization that's investing and, and understands that security space. So that's, that's a huge piece of our, of our future. That is huge. You know, I have a friend who has a, a company that had a ransomware and they were able to pretty much restore most of the things, but they had this particular product and I don't understand it, but it was a million dollar thing that they had to replace because of the ransomware. Now that's a huge, that's a huge event. Right. So yeah, if you can prevent that, that's worth every single dime that you pay. Yeah. All right, Chris, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners before I let you go? Uh, I guess just one thing for kind of, you talked about budding entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs that are ready. Maybe just to speak to a generation before that, kind of budding leaders that you know, maybe that entrepreneurship is maybe 10 years down the road. I'll just say for me, probably the biggest career advice when I'm speaking to college students or even high school students, whatever, is, um, is about public speaking. Is no one likes to get up in front of people and speak. And I was forced to do it in consulting. I wasn't forced to. The CEO of KP, I worked for KP, one of my consulting companies was KPG Consulting, and the CEO was coming through town and wanted to see what we've been working on. And so they went back to the three, uh, three young guys that have been building this stuff and, and said, all right, who's going to present to the CEO? And everybody looked at each other and I'm like, not me. <laughs> and I just, I don't know why I did it. I just raised my hand and I said, I will. And then of course I prepared for it, did it. And then from then on, I decided I'm never, ever, ever going to say no when asked to speak in public. And that has served, not that I'm a great speaker, but that has served me very well in my career to be able to speak in front of people and convey messages and have that kind of confidence in front of groups. So that's usually advice I give to, to younger budding leaders is to never say no to an opportunity to speak in public. Do you think, you know, I was just thinking when you were saying that, do you think that that is a challenge for some CEOs that they just aren't, because they're not as transparent because of that very thing, they're actually not comfortable speaking in front of their groups? I think there's two things. You mentioned transparent. So I think there are paranoid leaders that are afraid what employees will do with data if you give them too much data. They'll either assume if it's bad financial data, oh, this company's going downhill, or if it's I'm, good financial data, or if it's good financial data, they're like, why aren't you paying me more? Amen, like, yeah. Right, so there's, the, the, there's a, a paranoia of what your employees will do with data. Well, the reality is, if you don't give them that data, to our point earlier about filling FUD with your own, they're gonna fill it with their own financial information. Yeah, exactly. And I found our profitability had dropped off quite a bit in 2017 after some expensive acquisitions and cost. And I was scared to death to show 
bad. The real what was bad. happening. And I and I like I'm gonna take a shot at this. I put it for the whole company, the bad financial data. And I was shocked, pleasantly shocked, but shocked at how much ownership they took of it. They're like, I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna go spend this anymore. I don't I actually don't need that employee anymore. What whatever it was, and not for firing, but you know, open yeah, recs. Right. And mm-hmm. um they owned it. And, and we, helped and you we, get and through we it. shot back up. Like mm-hmm. we created a whole team of owners just by through transparency. So I couldn't be a more firm believer in transparency now. And I think a lack of transparency comes from uh, just worried about that fear. That mm-hmm. fear. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I, I think most humans aren't, even if they're practiced at getting in front of people, it still makes it. I mean, this podcast made me nervous. You know? <laughs> well, it's because I'm super intimidating. So I understand that. <laughs> so, yeah, I think even if you do it a lot, there's always a depending on your comfort level with the content and so forth, there's always, uh, we're always nervous a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it also keeps you on edge. Like you, you do your best work when you're a little bit nervous, I think. All right, Chris, well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. I know your story will be inspiring to anyone taking on big challenges or struggling with engaging your team because you've given some great insight around that. You are a great example of a leader. And as I see, there is certainly a drought of real leaders out there. So thank you for showing us how it's done and sharing your keys to success so freely. Appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. As a reminder, this show is sponsored by Oswald Service and Repair with locations in Idaho Falls and Rexburg. We were recently recognized by Best of Idaho as top three in the whole state of Idaho and number one in East Idaho. So Thank you so much. That is because of our great customers and we appreciate you. If you are looking yourself for an automotive repair place provided with honesty and integrity, please come and see us and let our family take care of your family. Now stay tuned for the business leadership moment. It's now time for a business leadership moment on East Idaho Entrepreneurs Podcast. Welcome to the Business Leadership Moment. This segment is brought to you by RiseCon and RiseX. RiseCon is an East Idaho business conference held every November, and RiseX is their sister event held monthly. Um, It's a great opportunity to network and learn and mastermind about your business. So please join us if you're interested. Check it out at risecon.io or risex.io. And don't forget that Rise is spelled with a Z. Today, I want to talk about focusing on people and when you do that, how your numbers will follow. And I thought on the heels of um, March Madness, I'd talk a little bit about basketball, which is not my specialty, I can tell you, but I really appreciated this story and I thought that many of you would as well, whether you love basketball or not. So you may have heard of the legendary UCLA basketball coach by the name of John Wooden. Well, That coach, he never focused on the score of the game. I'm sure he was interested in it, obviously, but he believed that success was achieved by paying attention to the details of the game and not concentrating on the score. He also knew that building a team of well-trained players capable of executing a plan and encouraging personal performance and teamwork would ultimately lead to success. And so he taught his players the the fundamental principles by using what he called the pyramid of success. And the foundation of that pyramid is really based in the values that their, his individual players would, 
he expected them to take in their lives. So he really taught them amazing life skills. And you can check out the Pyramid of Success. There's actually a coachwooden.com website and you can learn all about it. It's pretty fantastic. I think if we if we structured our businesses after this, they would be pretty strong as well. Um, he, if you're not familiar with his record under his leadership, the UCLA Bruins hold the record still to this day with 11 Division One NCAA championships, 10 national titles in 12 seasons, including seven straight wins from 1967 to 1973. And nobody has duplicated that since. Um, again, his strategy of focusing on people and team brought out the very best in each of his players, and his record his record is definitely a testament to his strategy. So what I loved about this story is I think as business owners, we can often get caught up in the numbers. I know that we do, you know, we measure our business by average repair order, the car count, and many other metrics. And so we're looking at those. Obviously, you know, you manage by statistics. Um, And I'm not suggesting that the numbers aren't important because they absolutely are. But a business, just like any team, will reach high levels of success if the organization has the right people in place and also pays attention to all the details. Um, Creating an environment where the focus is on team spirit really gives gives your employees the opportunity to reach their personal best. And Coach Wooden was a great um, example of that because clearly his record speaks for itself. His leadership was very clear for his team. So I think if we can really think about the people that we manage and and how we are encouraging them even to just grow and be better individuals, it, it reflects on our business. So with this strategy, the number or in Coach Wooden's um, example, the score will take care of itself. So I hope that this gave you a little bit of inspiration for your own teams. Um, Yeah, the numbers are important, but let's focus on the people. Uh, Okay, guys, have a great week, and I'll hopefully have you back here next week for my next guest. See you then. Thank you for listening to East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Oswald Service and Repair. For all your car care needs in eastern Idaho, let our family take care of yours. www.oswaldserviceinc.com